0: Hello, fellow ag nerd. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and if you're interested in where innovative ideas meet practical realities in food production, I think you found the right show. Now, when we think about the future of agriculture, as we tend to do on this show, since that's what I decided to call it, Inevitably, the word sustainability is going to come up. Now, I fully realize that word causes some of you out there listening to sort of bristle because it's been used so much for cringeworthy marketing and signaling and positioning that it does carry some baggage. I fully acknowledge that. But whatever terminology you prefer, whether it's sustainable or something else, what we can't overlook are the impacts of the way we produce our food. Impacts, of course, on the environment, climate, soil, water, but also impacts to our health and to our employees and to our society, right? Through innovation, we should be able to constantly improve not only the outputs of agriculture, the productivity, very important part of the equation, but also continue to minimize the costs of those outputs. Thank you for coming to my sustainability TED Talk. I will get off that soapbox and introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Louisa Parker Smith. She is the head of global sustainability for Agco Corporation. I'm sure many of you listening know all about Agco. They're a major farm machinery designer, manufacturer, and distributor, including tractors, combine harvesters, hay and forage machinery, with brands like Fent, Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Voltra, Gleaner, and many others. They also have a growing grain and protein division, which offers grain storage, seed processing, and protein production equipment now in Luisa's role as head of sustainability she sets the strategy for AGco sustainability programs and ESG which stands for environmental social and governance it's a very hot topic especially among publicly traded companies which AGco is sustainability roles like Luisa's I think are pretty unique in that she is constantly engaging with all sorts of key stakeholders and when I say stakeholders, Specifically, what I mean is she talks to a lot of customers. She talks to a lot of dealers. She talks to a lot of ag co colleagues across different functions and across different teams. And she talks to investors and these ESG uh, sort of certifying groups that uh, bring information to investors about the sustainability of the companies they potentially could be investing in. It's also a role that requires her to be thinking out much further than other vantage points. She told me she's thinking regularly about what the future is going to look like 10 years out or longer, which brings a very interesting perspective to this show on the future of agriculture. So in today's episode, Luis and I talk about ESG and the interest of investors in knowing what Agco is doing in terms of sustainability. We also talk about where Agco is focusing their efforts, particularly when it comes to climate. And I'll tell you, this is not an episode about another carbon market, quite the opposite, They're doing the hard work of trying to reduce their emissions, including what are called Scope 3 emissions, which include the footprints uh, not only of their own operations, but of their customers who use their products. Very interesting dynamic about how they help their customers also achieve sustainability goals. We also talk about future innovations in farm machinery and her time in Africa, where she held multiple roles with the company, including director of distribution development on the continent so much to dig into here, but I want to start with one key point. She told me Agco's research and development expected spending for this year alone is $400 million. Now think about that. If I brought a startup onto this show that raised that kind of money for one year of operations, they would be the talk of the industry. It's just a mind boggling amount. I think companies like Agco don't get enough credit for their investments in innovation and their impact on the future of agriculture. So just keep that in mind as we dive in here. Okay, with that said, I'm going to drop you into the conversation here with Louisa Parker-Smith, as I said, head of global sustainability at Agco. She starts our conversation by describing her career trajectory within the company.
1: Actually, one of the things that sets you up well for a role in sustainability is to have spent some time working in different functions because Believe me, sustainability touches on almost every part of the business. So I I started um, getting on for 10 years now, actually, uh, back with Agco, working in the Africa Middle East team, actually. And it was, again, more of a stakeholder management role. So I worked with mainly um, institutional investors, but also the international development community, the World Bank, the African Development Bank, the UN, really focusing in on smallholder farmers and some of the challenges that they're experiencing in transitioning to mechanization. So that was really my first step into AGCO and into the world of agriculture. And then I actually took on some commercial roles within the region. So I, I had a stint in marketing and, and was involved in introducing lots of new products to the region, specifically you know, with that same target group in mind, with smallholder farmers in mind, and then started to work with our dealers in Africa. So I was responsible for distribution development for a period of time. I then got the opportunity to come to our headquarters in Duluth, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And I was able to work as a special assistant to our CEO. So this was a great opportunity to get some global perspective on the business and work on a variety of different initiatives. And then really latterly, for the last year or so, I've been responsible for sustainability. And like I said, being able to pull insights from different parts of the business, I think is incredibly helpful there.
0: And was that a newly created role?
1: It was, yeah. So you know, we're a multi-brand company, so we do and we have had multiple initiatives looking at you know, the impact of our products and services, looking at environmental impacts, thinking about some of those social elements around diversity and inclusion, health and safety. It's living and breathing within the company and within our brands. But I guess it's it's gained greater traction with investors. There are now greater requirements for disclosure and transparency and reporting. That really needs to be done at the corporate level because they're really looking to see whether, as a corporation, you're on the right target, you're working towards the right things and And it's the reason we set up this newly established corporate sustainability function.
0: Could you maybe go into that a little bit deeper on ESG? I I think a lot of people have heard the term ESG and heard it in the context of it's important now, but maybe don't understand what that means. And so from your perspective, can you set some context there on what's changed when it comes to ESG and why might that drive changes within companies like AGCO?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very broad area hence me saying that it touches on so many parts of the business and so the e and the esg is for environmental so you're really looking at the the company's footprint really and and the operations the impact of the supply chain and also the impact of products and services so environmental you're looking at your emissions footprint you're looking at how you manage waste how you manage water how you recycle it's a pretty pretty broad set of criteria and evolving. So a new area that's sort of hot on the agenda is biodiversity. And there are new guidelines coming in place that look at a company's impact in that respect as well. Onto the S in ESG is very much focused on the social element. And again, that's pretty broad. So that could be everything from how you develop talent, how you focus on diversity and inclusion, how you look after the health, safety and well-being of your employees. You know, how do you ensure that your supply chain is actually Maintaining standards around child labor, human rights, those types of things. So, again, it's pretty broad. And then the governance is a little bit more straightforward. It's really around do you have the right governance processes in place to run the company in a responsible way? And then other pieces link into that. So, corporate social responsibility, for example, are you having a positive impact in the environments in which your business operates? And that can be like philanthropy, and and often companies will work with charities and develop various partnerships. So it's really broad, um, but also that makes it incredibly exciting.
0: Yeah, it does. And are, are there sort of evaluating entities that will report on, here's how we view Agco doing when it comes to ESG, and they would report that, I guess, to investors. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. And I can tell you that that is an area that a lot of companies are really getting their head around because the number of frameworks now that uh, that a company like Agco is required to report out against is growing. I mean, almost <laughs> every couple of months, there's some new requirement, whether that's legislation, a new act and requirements around ESG there, or whether it's a framework like the Carbon Disclosure Project There's a new task force for climate related financial disclosures. How is climate linked to the financial impact of your business. And so these type of things. And then from the investor side, of course, investors all have their own criteria that they think are important within their own portfolios. And they also have uh, rating agencies that come in and literally will rate your company and kind of rank you against uh, a group of peers so that investors can look at that if they want to actually green their portfolio and make sure that their their portfolio meets the criteria of those investing. So It's definitely a tricky one. I would say that there's a lot of work being done right now to try and harmonize the different frameworks. So uh, we hope that it will start to become a little bit clearer. But it's really a lot of it is good practice. So it's about really understanding the data within your business, understanding your impact, being transparent. Transparency is such an important word. It's disclosing kind of where you stand and what your plans are. There is definitely a recognition that companies are not going to meet every single requirement overnight. It's a process and it's a transition. So I think that's the main thing, keeping the dialogue open, being transparent about your strengths and also your weaknesses as well.
0: And what are those specific priorities for AGCO?
1: Yeah, well, we've set out our priorities in our first sustainability report that we published earlier this year. And uh, we actually started with a longer list and we narrowed it down to a couple that we really wanted to make some progress in. So for us, we're a manufacturing company. So of course, we do have a substantial greenhouse gas and emissions footprint. So decarbonizing our operations and actually thinking about how we can help our customers to reduce their environmental footprint through use of our products is a really key area for us. I would say that's your traditional wheelhouse of sustainability that you look at your own operations first. Secondly, I think for, again, being a manufacturing company, protecting the health, safety and well-being of employees is always important. And this is not a new thing, but it's an area that we really wanted to double down on. So they're sort of the two kind of first focus areas. And then when we think out to our customers, of course, our farmers, well, the topic of climate change, we know that's uh, on every agenda right now. And uh, we know that changing climates and more severe weather events is material to agriculture. So. Really starting to look at how our products and services can support farmers with managing the health of their soils, transitioning and adapting to climate change risks, and really starting to kind of address those. That was an area that we wanted to focus on. And specifically, also, how can we support with the technologies? You know, our machines go up and down the fields, have multiple passes in a year. So, how can we leverage sensors and technologies? to get more granular on some of the data that we can draw from the field to help with some of the carbon sequestration measurements. So that's one area. And then I would say, because we have two sort of very different types of businesses, the for the grain and protein side of the business, there was a real focus on animal welfare. So again, how do we leverage data, technology on our equipment to provide more insights to the producers on the conditions that their animals are dealing with? And how can we uh, leverage those insights to both feed into product development and and develop new and innovative new products, but also provide that data in a way that's useful and helpful to the producer so that they can better understand their operations. So they're the four kind of areas that we're really focusing on, certainly for the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, let's talk more about that first one about reducing emissions and decarbonizing both your own operations, you know, and sort of agriculture in general, because, I mean, you all have a massive footprint. I I guess one thing we didn't really talk about is, can you talk about the size of Agco in terms of, you know, global machinery business to give people a sense of the scale we're talking about here?
1: Sure. So we, of course, have the five brands that I mentioned and uh, our manufacturing footprint we're in all, all regions globally, and uh, it's around about 40 facilities that we have that we've now done a sort of a deep dive on all of our energy usage and pulled together our, our emissions footprint. So it's pretty substantial. It's a large number of, of facilities that we're currently working with. And then, um, you know, on the sort of operational side of that, it's pretty standard set of processes. So firstly, looking at your operations and how can you actually conserve resources How can you operate more efficiently? How can you bring new technology into your operations to reduce your energy usage? How can you look at switching to alternative uh, sources of energy, so renewable and green energy, for example? They're kind of key areas for us to look at. And it's a continuous evolution and process. How do you uh, invest, if you like, on an ongoing basis in more efficient equipment on Industry 4.0, some of the technologies that are coming out around smart manufacturing plants how do you look at smart lighting and improve ventilation, building renovations, all those types of things. They're they're the kind of areas that we're looking at and, and really building out a portfolio of opportunities and then sort of really working through those site by site. So there's a sort of a big picture piece to it. So, you know, what is the renewable energy strategy for the company? But it does get pretty granular when you go down to individual site level, leveraging things like energy audits and that type of stuff. So, we have a goal uh, to reduce our emissions intensity by 20% by 2026. So it's a fairly short timeline. And we're also looking to reach 60% of renewable energy by 2026 across our global manufacturing footprint. So they're the sort of two key goals that we're working on. But we also are spending time to understand water footprint, how much waste do we generate, what kind of recycling program should we be putting in place. So there's a lot of other activities going on in that area as well.
0: Yeah. And then let's talk about the piece where you're looking at, you know, your customer's footprint as well and thinking, how can we provide them the same value we're already providing them, if not more value, but also help them preemptively perform their operations with fewer negative externalities? Let's say that. How are you looking at that? Where do you see opportunity where Agco can make products that actually help make their customers not only more successful, but also preemptively greener?
1: Sure. Uh, It's a great question. And and if I just roll back a, a moment as well as to why is that important, not just because it's the right thing to do, but as a company, we look at three types of emissions. We have these scope one and two emissions, which are the emissions that we directly generate or that we effectively use from the grid. So that's the sort of one and two. Scope three emissions is effectively anything that Agco doesn't generate itself, but it's an indirect impact of either our supply chain or the use of our products. So, of course, a farmer using one of our uh, machines, one of our tractors, is, of course, generating emissions from diesel, for example, and, and other emissions at the farm level. And so really, companies are starting to go beyond their own four walls and look to those emissions that are generated within the supply chain or with the products in use. So that's really why it's important that we can understand the emission footprint of our product and that we can also support our customers to reduce those and why is that important? Because ultimately they are producing goods, the, the Walmarts of the world and other uh, food and beverage companies. They're also looking at their scope three emissions as well. So they will be looking to their suppliers, which of course are the farmers, to reduce their own environmental footprint also. So everyone is kind of connected in this emissions puzzle, if you like. So what are we doing? Well, it's it's an area that we are investing substantially in. So our research um, and advanced engineering priorities over the next number of years, are focused on connectivity, automation, robotics, electrification, future fuels, also sort of ongoing and looking at how we can make our machines more efficient. And just to give you a sense, the estimated investment in R&D for Agco in 2021 is $400 million. So it is a substantial investment in product development. The Key areas that we would focus on when it comes to the emissions footprint of our products are broken down into sort of four key areas. So the one is really around machine efficiency. So how can we optimize the engine, the transmission, the hydraulics to make the machine more efficient when it's being used and this can be really simple things. It can be incredibly complex, but just to give you one example, with our Fendt tractor, they have the Vario Grip, which makes adjustments to tire pressure for field work and road use. And there you can see a small difference, but it, it all adds up. So if you use this uh, Vario Grip when you're in the field, it's an eight percent reduction in emissions per hectare, and two percent on the road. When we roll that up, it's something like fifty thousand to sixty thousand U.S. dollars per. 10,000 hours. And the CO2 emission reduction potential is anywhere between five and 25 percent dependent on which element of machine efficiency you're addressing. So huge amount of opportunity in, in that space. The other area is process efficiency. So how can you ensure that you're using the best machine and the best technology for the application? And so this is where GPS comes in, guidance, steering systems. How do you minimize the number of passes in the field? How can you design things like container volumes to reduce, again, number of passes in the fields? And again, this can impact fuel consumption. Then it it sort of goes down more to the people. So you've got the operator efficiency. And we continue to spend a lot of time and energy on training operators, working with our dealers to make sure that the operator has the right information to really minimize the way that they uh, use fuel and that they understand simple things like how to set the machine up correctly. That's really important, especially with large fleets or in developing markets like Africa and and some other regions as well. And then lastly, some of the advanced R&D topics that I mentioned, like investing in alternative energies like electric drives and so on, is another area of focus. So we committed in our sustainability report earlier this year to commercialise our Fent E100 tractor, which is an electric battery tractor by 2025. So there's a huge amount there. It's a big, big piece, hence why a lot of time and energy and investment has to go into developing that. But all of those ultimately roll down to more efficient operations, more efficient machines, and ultimately should also improve efficiency and, and the bottom line for the customer as well.
0: And on that last point about electrification, is the farm machinery industry under the same pressures as the automobile industry, you know, from governments to go electric? I I saw, I think just this morning, President Biden tweeted out about electric vehicles. You know, are you feeling that same pressure as well to sort of go, you know, electric as much as possible? Some of these machines, I can't imagine, could provide the same performance going electric. But uh, are you feeling the same pressure outside of those for other potential advancements?
1: I would say that the team are absolutely doing a deep dive into that area and are prototyping and working on a variety of different solutions in that area. But are we under the same pressure? I would say not as much as the automotive industry. That's moving at much more at a rapid pace. There are, of course, some unique challenges with agricultural equipment, partly based on the location, obviously typically rural location, but also the size of the machines and the power that's required but i have to say that uh, there are some developments that make it more of a potential opportunity and more viable so the the price of the lithium ion battery cells reducing has made that more viable so i think it's 97% which is an incredible number a reduction in the cost of the batteries over the last say 20 30 years i know if you know the Nissan leaf which is probably one of the more affordable electric vehicles in the 1990s it would cost about 300,000 to create a 40 kilowatt hour battery, and now that's coming down to something like $7,000. So it gives you a bit of a sense, and that's just for a small vehicle. So if you try to replicate that for a tractor, you can get a sense that it absolutely wasn't viable a couple of years ago, but the price is becoming more more realistic now to consider some of those opportunities and options. We already have a prototype for the E100. It's kind of being used in, in certain operations in, in Europe. And yeah, as I say, we, we definitely see an opportunity for that type of uh, equipment in certain types of agricultural operations going forward.
0: Awesome. Well, I want to talk about your, your time focused on Africa. And you mentioned that, you know, one of your early jobs was to figure out where technology needs were in the country. And I'd like to talk about that. And then I also want to get to how do you develop distribution for a company like AGCO on a continent like Africa. So maybe let's just start with what did you learn when you were out there trying to figure out where there might be needs and opportunities for technology and smallholder farmers?
1: Well, I learned a lot of things during my time in Africa. Apps really has been helpful, like I said, in the sustainability role. You know, Africa's very much on the cutting edge when it comes to really trying to manage the impact of severe weather. A lot of agriculture is reliant on, you know, the weather and the seasons. They often don't have the opportunity to use irrigation, for example. So yeah, that's kind of one of the key challenges. And then food security is, is a challenge for the continent as well. So the, the yields on average are five, six times less than they would be in North America for sort of corn and soybean, and mechanization levels are incredibly low. So it really highlights the importance of mechanization in securing food security for the continent. So there's a big focus by AGCO on introducing new machines, uh, introducing smaller tractors to support medium-sized farmers and smallholder farmers to mechanize for the first time. I think that was a big focus of our efforts. But then they face a lot of infrastructure challenges. It's a big place <laughs> Africa, a big continent. And typically, the life of a machine in Africa is incredibly short compared to Europe and North America. So there are a lot of challenges with getting, you know, knowledge and information out to farmers on how to maintain the machines, very simple things around how to set, you know, the machines in the right way, the importance of using genuine parts. They're all the the type of things that we were really focused on and also training and, and transferring knowledge to farmers, both operators of machinery, but also on the agronomy side as well. So there there were sort of two key areas, um, how you sort of bring machines to the market and then how you also build the capacity and the infrastructure to ensure that they can be used productively for many, many years. And then uh, I guess above all of that, the longer term challenge within Africa is how do you engage young people in agriculture? Because very few uh, young people actually Study agricultural agribusiness. I think it's about two percent of all graduates go into ag or agribusiness in some form or another. So um, that's a big challenge, especially when you have an aging population. You know, the average age of a farmer is in the in the sort of late fifties and sixties, and a very very young continent. So I was based in Zambia and uh, ran about sixty percent of the population are under the age of sixteen to give you a sense. So. You know, this huge continent is reliant on a very small number of farmers with very low levels of mechanization and low yields. So it's kind of a perfect storm. So we were very focused on training, education. How do we bring technology to really start to engage the youth? Because they don't want to do hard labor in the field in the same way that their parents did. So they're, they're some of the things really that were key pain points, I think, for the customers. And a lot of these challenges can be solved by mechanization. So yeah, there's there's an awful lot happening uh, in that region that, that sort of needs to be tackled really.
0: And is financing part of the problem? I mean, to get this technology into the hands of an average you know smallholder farmer in Africa uh, seems like financing would be essential and probably a challenge.
1: Finance is absolutely part of the challenge. So there are a number of uh, enabling factors, if you like, and um, education and the, the the training is one of them, but finance certainly another you know, you have additional constraints. So this creates this opportunity to try and innovate. And uh, I think the way that the ag sector is responding to that and the machinery sector is responding is to look at more innovative models for machinery use. So you don't need to have one farmer and one tractor. There's a lot happening now, Um, some great um, startups operating in that space using technology like Hello Tractor, where you're able to sort of hire out machines, you're able to maybe have like a machinery ring type situation, uh, working with cooperatives and so on. So there are ways to get around that. But absolutely, finance is one of the challenges. So I think that's starting to improve now. I think um, there's been a lot of great efforts from the African Development Bank and others really investing to this area, building capacity. And I have to say, a lot of the finance institutions took time to understand agriculture, Uh, in a way that they didn't before and understand that you need to develop unique finance products for that sector because (laughs) the the season kind of is very different to other types of lending products. You have to be willing to kind of fall in line with the ag season and and when the farmer has money to repay and when they don't. So they're the types of things that we were able to participate in, uh, working with various trade associations, working with a lot of regional initiatives that were established in Africa. But yeah, a big challenge for sure and, and definitely not gone away yet
0: you know, with all these challenges that are are unique to parts of the world like that versus maybe, you know, North America and, and Europe, how does that change your distribution strategy? You know, you probably don't come in and set up the same type of dealerships that you'd see in Iowa or somewhere like that. You know, how does that change the way you approach distribution in the developing world?
1: It does change it. But again, I, I feel like some of the opportunities that we've seen across the wider business to digitalize, to serve the market in different ways. So to serve the market remotely, provide new services kind of online. We were looking at some of those uh, areas and experimenting and running pilots and trials on that a number of years ago in Africa. A lot of these countries are very large. And comparatively, if you if you look at the size of like a country like Nigeria, and the number of tractors that it has, it, it doesn't financially make sense to have dealers dotted all around the country, because there's just not enough business to make it viable for them. So the dealers have to be very creative in in serving the customers in different ways. We were able to actually use like Google Glass, uh, which is a a really cool technology to actually train uh, sometimes farmers and also dealers virtually. Agco's invested in a a future farm in Zambia, and it's effectively a, a bricks and mortar training facility, but that has capabilities to support dealers all over the continent. So we can run a training session with Google Glass with some of our dealers and train them remotely. And equally, some of those technologies and solutions can be used when they're supporting also their customers. So, again, I think it's it's a different set of constraints, but I would say the one thing that Africa is not short of is innovation. And so there are definitely opportunities and ways to get around some of those challenges. Another uh, initiative that we established a couple of years back uh, when I was in Africa was the Farm in a Box concept which is basically put everything that's needed to almost run a mini tractor contracting business. So a small tractor, a set of implements, you have an app to kind of work with your customers in a container that can be configured. You stock up the container with parts that will be needed for the first year of operation. And you send that out to rural areas because a lot of shops and a lot of businesses are run out of containers in Africa. So you can effectively put that on the back of a truck, send it out to a region put it in place, and you have everything that you need to run a sort of mini dealership effectively in a contracting service. So it is just about firstly, understand what constraints are you dealing with, talk to customers about what their needs are, you know, then innovate and brainstorm with the teams and, and go to the market with new ideas.
0: Well, you know, one of the first myths I wanted to sort of just squash in this interview for the audience is that sustainability is not just about marketing. It's not just signaling that there actually is some, you know, real activity being done in your role though, kind of internal operations. How do you keep from just being kind of the bad guy all the time, you know, sort of the police person, just like saying, Hey, no, you guys can't do this. We need to reduce emissions. Oh, you can't do this because it's not good for sustainability. How does that work in practice and how do you keep from that being the case? I guess.
1: Yeah. I think you've got to find the balance between understanding how sustainability can help to mitigate some risk within the business, but also how it helps drive opportunities. And I think everybody gets excited about the opportunities that are created, um, especially from this transition to a low-carbon economy. So, you know, it's important to involve multiple functions in in a lot of the decision-making and developing the strategy. So we work really closely and and cross-functionally. I think climate change is a great example of that. So we, right now, in the the midst of doing a, a global climate risk assessment for our business, So basically looking at what are the physical and what are the transition risks of climate change to our operations over the next 20, 30 years. And that then touches on almost every part of the business, because you're looking at the risk of the disruption to your supply chain. You're looking at risks to operations. You're looking at some of the legal risks. So what happens if, you know, the US government in Europe, everybody wants to decarbonize? Well, what carrots and what sticks will be brought to bear on companies to actually ensure that transition works so you're looking at carbon taxes what's going to happen to the cost of energy over time and that's obviously an important cost when you're running manufacturing operations so I think starting with the climate science tying that to a lot of data from your business starts to really bring to life some of the risks put a hard number on that and teams do get involved in it and it starts to resonate and actually mean something and then also talk about how that will impact your customers and how will farming change in the next 20, 30, 50 years. I think that's a a great example of something that you can do to start off that brings the different functions in and put some kind of reality on this. So that's something we're really working on at the moment. But that's on the risk side. So then you start to look at the opportunities and you say, well, what kind of new technologies and new innovations could we bring to the market to actually support our customers to actually help them through this climate transition, to provide new technologies, precision ag technologies that help them improve their yield, help them, you know, improve their profitability. Once you start to put parameters around your operations and, you know, with engineering teams and product development teams, you give them a set of criteria that they've got to work with. That's kind of the bedrock of innovation. So I think these are kind of fun dynamics to start to work around and see what does that mean for the business and and where can we go from here so i I definitely don't feel like sustainability is kind of policing things i think we're certainly gathering a lot of data from the business but we're then presenting that back with additional inputs and presenting lots of opportunities and challenges for the future
0: love that answer thank you for that so on that point are there any specifics you can share about we're thinking about climate change. We're looking at our operations and our business and our customers' business, and we feel like we need to move in X capacity, whatever the strategy may be. Just any specifics that you think are floating to the top of the list and, and things that need to be done in anticipation of changes continuing to happen.
1: Yeah, I think without a doubt that we are understanding more now the the picture from a agronomy context. So what, what it what will happen at farm level and how will this impact the farmer. And so that's definitely feeding through into product management and our global agronomy team. And I would say kind of linking that to back to our sustainability strategy, this is where the, the focus on soil health comes in, because it is a, an area that is incredibly important for the farmer, because they see themselves as the steward of the land, and they want to ensure that their business is also sustainable to pass on to future generations. But also, um, it's an area where we can really position agriculture as part of the solution to climate change. And I think that simple fact now, a lot of investors and others, there's a lot of money now going into this area. So in Europe, as, a, as one example, there's a, a 10 billion euro fund that's been established um, under the uh, the Farm to Fork strategy to support farmers and invest in R&D to help this transition and help farmers mitigate climate change impacts. They're the sort of opportunities in the areas that we're really focusing on. You know, how have we started to address our own operations? Well, we have brought together our global agronomy team now into a global group, working directly with product management. They have a fantastic vision, which is to create enhanced value for the farmer by connecting agronomy and engineering centres and machines to plants and soils. So that's really the focus. So you're, you're basically taking insights directly from the field straight into the product management group. And so some of the new products that Agco has brought to the market over the last Year or two, like our momentum planter, which is focused on preventing soil erosion. We have uh, the drop kits for our uh, rogator, where you can seed cover crops into a standing, you know, corn or, or soy crop. Uh, so they're the, some of the innovations that are coming out of this alignment between the agronomy side and also the product development side. So that that will continue. It will be a big focus for us going forward. And again, I think that has come from really having an understanding of the climate science and the opportunity. To provide new solutions for our customers
0: excellent well i want to take the last you know maybe five ten minutes here and talk about just look to the future the podcast is called future of agriculture and so when you look to you know the next decade or two in in this industry and, and agco's role in it what stands out as significant changes you think that we'll see here in the future of agriculture
1: I know we've talked about it a little bit already today, but I go back to climate resilience because, you know, that climate science is there. So I think really focusing on those areas is going to be increasingly important. So soil health for me is, is number one. How do we support with precision ag technology, the equipment that we manufacture to help the farmer reduce tillage intensity, increase organic matter in the soil, manage compaction, support the use of cover crops? So they're, they're kind of key areas for us. But I think managing water and water risk is going to become um, a hot topic going forward. Pest management, again, linked to changes in temperature, diversification at the farm level, crop diversification. And then on the, the grain and protein side, how do we, again, leverage technology to manage livestock stress from extreme temperature increases? And then I think increasingly farmers are also starting to look at their own operations and uh, you know do energy audits, look at how they may be able to have renewable energy opportunities on their farm. So it's also diversifying their farm operations as well. So I would say that anything really related to the sort of climate adaption mitigation will be on the on the agenda, if you like, for many, many years to come. So that will be a key focus for us. And then the uptake of Precision Ag, I think, is a key one going forward. Um, Agco has very um, challenging goals for the future in how we grow our Precision Ag business We acquired a number of years ago precision planting, so this opportunity to take machines and retrofit them with new technology is a fantastic and, and, you know, a different route to market for us and a really key one going forward because the technology is moving very rapidly and uh, it's much easier to retrofit a machine with something new than to try and replace the entire machine. So I would say kind of continuing to focus on that area will be really important for Agco going forward. Lastly, continued evolution of these alternative fuels. There'll be a lot of focus for our R&D team in that area going forward as well, like I said, with the electrification of tractors and so on. So definitely uh, lots to keep us busy.
0: (laughs) Busy indeed. Thank you so much to Louisa Parker-Smith of Agco for being on today's show. We really covered a lot of interesting aspects there, I thought, of both ag sustainability and innovation. Very thought-provoking for me, and I hope for you listening as well. You can, of course, learn more about AGCO on their website, agcocorp.com. It's just AGCO, A-G-C-O, corp.com. I want to give a quick shout-out here to a couple of newsletter writers who have continued to utilize the content and share it in their newsletters to their audiences, and I never can seem to adequately return the favor But please, if you're not subscribed to these two email newsletters, you absolutely must go do that right after listening here. They are Upstream Ag Insights by Shane Thomas and Software is Feeding the World by Rishi Peth. Both can be found on Substack.com. They are free and well worth the precious space in your email inbox. Go subscribe to both of those guys' newsletters. They're fantastic. They're not paying me to say this. They don't even know I'm saying it, but you will not regret subscribing to those two newsletters if you aren't already. Thanks so much for your time and your attention. As always, I never take it for granted. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.